Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with a special Super Tuesday edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, but we are here for the first time in a long time on Wednesday. And why is that? It is because NXT and AEW Dynamite went head-to-head Tuesday night in a very special night of professional wrestling. We have an absolute ton to get to on today's show, and I will tell you all of the different areas of this head-to-head battle we are going to touch before the show concludes, but I would be remiss if I did not begin this episode, as we always do, with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. And please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month, 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. You will get bonus instant reaction audio after the major TV shows that will return on Friday. We had a crazy week, obviously, this week. And news posts every single week. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would really appreciate your support. Now, as I mentioned, we are going to tackle this real special Super Tuesday head-to-head battle between NXT and AEW Dynamite in a unique fashion because there is just so much to break down. At the top here, we are going to immediately discuss who won the head-to-head ratings battle. Then we will break down NXT. And as a bonus treat, the Silver King was actually in attendance at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, the first professional wrestling show I have seen live since the Raw after WrestleMania 35 back in 2019. I had the opportunity to watch this very special NXT episode in person and It was an absolute thrill to watch professional wrestling in person again. So there'll be a little bit of bonus content when we break down NXT. But after that, we're just going to break down AEW Dynamite. There will be elements of collision and rampage in there just to add context. And I will give you my critical takes on each half hour head to head segment as we go through that AEW breakdown. Anything from collision or Rampage that did not have to do with Dynamite will be discussed next week. I had to pull some content out of the show. That way we could get it done for you in a decent period of time. And really only one element from those shows was important. It was a title change. And again, we will just discuss it next week. And then to wrap everything up, vintage Chris Vanini will join. We will give a full critical breakdown of the shows, the idea of airing them at the same time, what each show did from WWE and NXT to kind of up the ante. Also, we will discuss Tony Khan's tweets and the way both sides, WWE and AEW, handled the situation. So to fulfill my promise, we're going to kick this off 
with the ratings conversation. Let me set the stage before we provide the ratings themselves. So WWE aired its third show, NXT, on its normal night, and it beefed up by leaning on star power. The Undertaker, John Cena, Cody Rhodes, and LA Knight most notably. Becky Lynch, who has boosted ratings recently, was not there. Other names on the show, Paul Heyman, Solo Sokoa, Shotzi. The latter two, unadvertised. Also, there was like Butch and Ridge Holland and Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley, but Butch has been on there consistently. Dom has been on there consistently. Rhea has been on there consistently. So those I don't really count, quote unquote. AEW, on the other hand, leaned on the title Tuesday moniker for Dynamite with two title changes ultimately transpiring on the show. It was moved off its normal night to Tuesday because of sports, and it built the show around not just those title matches, but the first in-ring action for Adam Copeland, the rated R superstar formerly known as Edge. NXT went commercial free for 30 minutes to start. AEW announced the same. They actually went commercial free for 45 minutes instead to get a ratings advantage. NXT always has like between a six and an eight minute overrun. AEW announced it would have a 10 minute overrun. It actually went a full 15 minutes. So to sum it up, AEW had 15 extra minutes without commercial and then anywhere between seven or eight extra minutes of an overrun once NXT ended. Despite that, NXT absolutely dominated head to head. 921,000 viewers for NXT, 609,000 viewers for AEW. NXT pulled in a 0.30 demo in the 1849 bracket. AEW came in with 0.26, much closer in the demo than it was overall viewership. For NXT, it was the highest demo since their 10th television episode ever back in 2019 and the highest total viewership since their second episode on TV. That one was unopposed. Dynamite did not exist yet. The biggest gap in viewership, and I found this to be incredibly interesting, it actually occurred without any of the major WWE stars being front and center in the ring. Cody was in a backstage segment, but it was primarily Ilya Dragunov against Dominic Mysterio head-to-head with Jay White and Hangman Page plus an MJF segment. So both champions, the NXT champion and the AEW champion were on screen and each of them put on a really good match. Yet the biggest gap in viewership occurred during that time. There was someone I responded to on Twitter. They said NXT won, yes, but they would have lost without WWE throwing the big stars on the show. That's an accurate statement, at least when it comes to the demo. However, If you're going to say, well, WWE put their big stars on the show, if you're going to do an apples to apples comparison, you would have to take off Edge's first match, probably remove Brian and Swerve, and not call it Title Tuesday if you want a regular NXT against a regular Dynamite on the same night. Otherwise, you're talking about a loaded Dynamite against a regular NXT, and that's not a fair comparison either. As I said, WWE leaned on their stars. That's their greatest strength. AEW leaned on their in-ring product, which is their greatest strength, and they lost by more than 300,000 total viewers, a 33% margin. Let's also note that NXT on different nights has actually been coming close to AEW ratings over the last few weeks. 
So if they went head to head with mostly normal shows, I think AEW would have won outright changing nights, but I don't know that they would have. If it was normal AEW, normal NXT, no special promotion, it may have been close or perhaps even, but that's not the game that was played. We will talk about that game later when Vintage joins after I recap both shows as we review the head-to-head battle together. A reminder, I will be breaking down NXT first, mixing in my experience there. Then we will talk AEW Dynamite and every 30 minutes of content that we discuss during the AEW recap, I will give my breakdown of who quote-unquote won that half hour from a critical standpoint, my opinion, okay? And then of course, Vintage will come in at the end and we have a lengthy discussion already planned uh, for the end of this show. So let's kick it off with NXT. And for both NXT and AEW Dynamite, I will be going in order of what happened on the show, no exceptions. So Cody Rhodes opened with his so-called major announcements. They were simply that the men's NXT breakout tournament will follow the women's and the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic will return. Cody also announced that he was made the special guest general manager for the night. Ilya Dragunov interrupted, basically saying he wanted to live up to the model Cody set forth. Then Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley came out, saying that he was the top champion, not Ilya. Ripley whispered in his ear to challenge for the NXT title. Dragunov accepted as a birthday gift to himself, with Rhodes making the match official in his new capacity. He also decided it needed a special guest referee to keep Judgment Day at bay, and he chose L.A. Knight. Yeah, and he got a huge pop, obviously. So look, clearly Cody's announcements were lackluster after being promoted as major. I wondered in the moment if this was a shot at Tony Khan, who we all know makes announcement after announcement with most of them falling short of their promotion. If that was the point, okay, pretty funny. If not, yeah, it left something to be desired. But the segment was hot. The fans loudly, and I mean loudly, chanted yeet which is now officially a thing. They were also loud as hell singing every single word of Kingdom and chanting for Dragunov's birthday. And obviously the booking was exciting on top of that. So definitely a strong start for NXT. Next, we got Asuka against Roxanne Perez. Shotzi surprised on commentary and Vic Joseph made sure to remind everyone that Asuka was undefeated in NXT. Good work throughout here. Roxy countered the Asuka lock into a pin attempt late only to get absolutely destroyed with kicks, including a headshot for the clean one, two, three. I selfishly wanted them to go longer, and I'm sure most agree with that. But really, given Asuka's stature as a legend, and with Perez still being a neophyte, this went as it should have. Asuka giving a little bow and respect after the bell, that got the job done. Kiana James talked shit to Roxy after the bell, with Shotzi attacking her from behind and hitting her cradle DDT finisher, Vic then announced that Shotzi was one of two hosts for Halloween Havoc, and the other is going to be Scarlet. That's going to be real interesting. going to look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! Next, we had the Brawling Brutes and Tyler Bate against Gallus in a pub rules match. Both sides got jacked up backstage, and this was announced as tornado rules with tons of weapons, including pool cues, trash cans, beer, kegs, tables, and even a dartboard. It was legitimately chaotic, And from being in attendance, probably the most straight up fun thing on the show. Butch ate a triple powerbomb through a table covered in beers. The faces all did 20 beats and a triple submission spot. Bate broke a fall with a corkscrew. 
Joe Coffey hit a double jump crossbody on Ridge Holland. Then all the best for the bells on Butch. Bate then broke an already broken mug over Coffey's head before the faces hit a triple double underhook powerbomb through the table to get the win. Sheamus, what are your thoughts on this match? Was it a banger? It was indeed. Like I said, it was an absolute blast from bell to bell. Probably the most interesting thing that Gallus has done since moving to the United States. Certainly not the best one of these matches we've ever seen, but you'd be hard pressed to watch this and not enjoy it thoroughly. Plus, all three faces were badly in need of a big win. 3.5 stars and a B. There was an extended video package for Becky Lynch and Lyra Valkyria that focused on their Irish heritage, and it was narrated by an Irish person. There was footage of Becky visiting her old training school and working with Lyra five years ago. It was really strong and a great item to build upon for their title match in two weeks. After it was over backstage, Tegan Knox interrupted her interview saying Valkyria's title match had to wait because she came so close to beating Becky and wanted another shot. Clearly, I forgot Tegan was on the show, but there you go. That was another main roster name. Uh, Lyra got heated and refused to let anyone get in her way. This wound up being set as a match next week, which pleased me. I'm just happy that Tegan's getting another match, even though she's probably going to take the L here. So John Cena came out 45 minutes into the show to a legitimately ridiculous pop for an arena that contained 400 people. Cena recognized everyone rapping his song, which was loud, I can confirm. He said it gave him street cred again. He put over NXT in a big way, not just for what it does for young talent, but for the crowd, the atmosphere, and making main roster talent wanting to go down there. Braun Breaker interrupted with fans using Cena's theme to sing, Braun Breaker sucks. Breaker said fans actually wanted to see him, not Cena, and fans chanted bullshit, to which I credit USA Network. They only bleeped the shit part of that, not the entire phrase, nor the entire segment. And there were multiple occasions during NXT on Tuesday where the F word or the S word was used and USA deftly only bleeped the curse and not the rest of it, which allowed the promos and the other things that were happening to shine through. Fox could learn something from that. Kudos to USA Network. Cena said Breaker's problem was a lack of respect, and Cena didn't come out there to run him down, so he just wanted to wish him luck in the match. Braun punched him rather than shake his hand, but Cena dodged a spear, and Breaker escaped an AA to end it. Now, it's one thing to watch Braun Breaker on TV, okay? It's quite another to see him in person and fully understand, folks, that Braun Breaker has it. You have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. I say that without exaggeration. This guy has the look, the size, the presence, the promo skills, and that's not even talking about the wrestling ability. I've mentioned Carmelo Hayes and Julius Creed as male superstars who may wind up being main eventers on the main roster. I definitely took away a new appreciation for Breaker on Tuesday, and that's just from this segment before we even got to the match later. A unique moment I got to see. In the front row corner, there was a guy holding a poster board. Turns out he was the fan that Cena rap battled like 15, 20 years ago while he was walking into Sunday Night Heat. Old fans will remember that. Cena saw the guy when he first got in the ring, immediately recognized him, pointed at him, and made sure he went over later, dapped him up, and took a picture. 
There's more cool Cena stuff that I'm going to talk about in a little bit that you did not see on TV, but it was really smart of WWE to get Cena in two big spots on the show, a third backstage. And this confrontation with Breaker was fantastic. I could actually see this as like the John Cena retirement match one day. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually do that. Cody bumped into the D'Angelo family backstage. They offered a heavy Italian explanation of a match type they wanted to determine a number one contender. Rhodes just did not understand them. So Stax clarified it. Hey man, we want a 10-team battle royal. The last two teams fight in a regular match. The winner of that is the number one contender. Cody said it reminded him of his dad's crazy match concepts back in the day. He named it the Bada Bing Bada Boom Battle Royal. They all celebrated together. It was definitely worth a smirk. Going back to Cody's earlier announcement about the Dusty Classic, I thought it was a missed opportunity to do something super interesting, like either make the Dusty Classic a multi-brand event across all three shows, or maybe include some main roster teams down in NXT competing as part of like a 16-team field. That would have made for a much more interesting announcement. I should also note that Dijak walked behind Cody and the family backstage as they were talking. And then Baron Corbin was cutting a promo on Droganov. He still wants to be the number one contender. As he was speaking, LA Knight's music cut him off and he just dipped out. In the arena, I thought production made a mistake, but it was clearly done on purpose to piss off Corbin. Next was the NXT Championship match, Droganov against Mysterio with Knight as the special guest referee. Knight did get a strong pop, but it was an easy like fourth on the show behind Cody, Cena, and someone else we're gonna talk about in a little bit. Definitely not louder than any of them. The yeah chants that you heard during this match, they were spurned on by one guy who was flinging insult after insult at Dom, and the crowd was responding to his call by saying yeah. I actually wish this guy was mic'd up. It was legitimately hysterical. So these guys also put on a show. The tide turned on a Dom chop to Ilya that sent the crowd into a frenzy and kind of left Rhea shocked at ringside. Dom missed a 619, then countered Constantine special and hit a 619 for a false finish. He also hit a cool DDT through the ropes, but Ilya hit a powerbomb and the H-bomb. Finn Balor and JD McDonough interfered. I forgot to mention them. Uh, but Knight hit McDonough with a BFT to kind of eliminate him. Droganov then ducked a belt shot from Ripley. Trick Williams ran down and pulled her off the apron, cradling her in his arms. They looked at each other in a really fun moment. And then Droganov hit Torpedo Moscow for a fun fold-over cover on Mysterio to get the win and retain his title. Not to be lost here is that Knight did a superb job as a referee, like for real, he was good in the role, but he also refed in a leather vest, jeans, Tim's, and sunglasses. It was hysterical to watch him dressed like that, refereeing a match. The glasses never came off, even when he hit the BFT and the Tim's. I posted a picture of this that you can zoom into. They had LA Knight burned into the side of them. So make sure you look at that. The match itself was strong. The finish was phenomenal. Crazy exciting to watch. 3.5 stars and a B. Ilya was parading with the title after the bell when Corbin came out to confront him. Instead, Dijak surprised him from behind with a big boot and then yelled in Corbin's face. Corbin later complained about it with Cody and Rhodes decided he would set a number one contendership match between Corbin, Dijak, and the winner of the main event. That made sense, but I'm telling you, and I've said this many times, 
Dijak needs to tweak his gimmick. It just doesn't really work. There was a really fun backstage segment with Cena, Mello, and Trick. Cena started propping up Mello, who promised to bring the ruthless aggression. Mello then apologized to Trick for last week, saying he left because Williams said he didn't need him. Trick said it's not the time for that with Cena there. Cena made a you can't see me joke. And then Mello said he was going to beat Braun, get back the NXT title, and Trick would also get the North American title back. Williams didn't really seem satisfied with that. Mello left. So Trick asked Cena, how do you know when it's your time? So Cena took him aside. He's a kid. Let's talk. This was a really smart way to continue the Trick and Mello story. It also integrated Cena as like a mentor willing to work with both of them. And they played some of the catchphrase hits, which is always cool. It was probably the coolest moment on the show, just in terms of a veteran being used perfectly in the moment. Uh, NXT Anonymous, that count on Twitter, found Paul Heyman pointing out the Bloodline logo on the back of his phone to Ava, the Rock's daughter, while speaking with her backstage. Very smart interaction, especially given Ava's storyline of being without a home. We talked about this last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. It seems way too early to bring her up to the main roster and put her in the Bloodline. She is not at all ready, not even close. But at least they followed through with the relationship opportunity. I know The Rock didn't interact with the Bloodline when he was on SmackDown. That was almost certainly not to raise expectations and then not deliver. WWE, they have their faults. They're very conscientious about stuff like that. Jade Cargill stepped out of a white SUV to shake hands with Shawn Michaels. He promised it would be a wild night. The fans went absolutely ballistic just seeing her out of the car. Holy shit chance, all that type of stuff. There's not much else to say about it, though. I did think they might actually put her in front of the crowd, even if it wasn't on TV, just her walking around, people cheering for her. But they didn't even do that. So it was kind of disappointing to not see them do more with her again, TV or not on TV. Dom walked out of the training room with Rhea complaining that he's a champion, yet no one respects him. Nathan Frazier came up talking shit. Uh, The heels said he's no one because he's not a champion. So that seems to be the next feud. There wasn't really much to this. Danny Palmer fought Lola Vice in the breakout tournament. Palmer missed a Phoenix splash and a standing moonsault. Vice locked in a neck choke submission with her legs, only for Palmer to flip her over in a really cool pinning combination. But Lola escaped and kicked her square in the head for the win. Definitely the right winner. Vice is more polished than Palmer. She's a higher current ceiling as well. The plan for Palmer was to work with Sol Ruka, and she should be back in a few months. So I wouldn't be surprised if that tag team restarts soon. So on Tuesday, let me note, I actually spent nearly four hours sitting next to and speaking with Lola's sister and her best friend, both extremely cool people. The sister is 22. She's training in Orlando to be a wrestler, not yet at the WWE Performance Center. It seems like once she gets the baseline stuff down, they're going to accept her in there. The friend was just visiting. She had never seen wrestling before. So that was a really fun experience for me, getting to speak with them. They were both really cool, really proud of Lola. She did great overall, but to sit next to someone who had never seen wrestling before and have this be their first show and then sit next to the sister of one of the stars of the show, it was really cool to be able to interact with them and see the show from their perspective. Now, Thea Hale returned to Chase U saying she was only back if JC Jane could enroll as well. Andre Chase allowed it. The ladies talked and got shushed uh, before the whole class received a message that distracted them from the lesson. Chase snapped at a guy, chucked his phone against the wall and told them, to not go on his mother effing phone in class. Jane informed Chase that they were excited, 
because the message said the guys would be in the tag team battle royal and the class gave them a round of applause. She's clearly manipulating. Chase clearly knows it. It was probably the best out of any of their segments together. The Brian Pillman Jr. vignette, it completed its run here with the TV stopping on an old loose cannon vignette of his father and old footage of Pillman speaking in WCW. Uh, Pillman Jr. said everyone was fond of his father. They had great memories of him, except him. He said that he lost his dad at age four, and after trying to do everything there was to do except wrestling, he's been unable to escape it, so he's embracing it with a plan to inflict pain on the business that brought him grief. He said he's nobody's junior, and he's taking on the last name of the real father figure in his life, King. Now, apparently, WWE has trademarked the name Lexus King, which honors both his sister and mother, who also tragically passed away, both of them. I've seen people criticize this name and call it feminine. Do I love the name? No. Is it feminine? Also no. Lexus is a non-gender specific name. It means defender. So it absolutely fits a wrestler. Pillman actually went by the name Alex King when he was younger. And while that name is better, my guess is that WWE couldn't trademark it or didn't want to use it because he used it already. They certainly were not going to call him Lex. So Lexus it is. That's pretty much the only other choice they had. But besides the name, the video package was fantastic. I didn't love this like tape job he had around his hairline and beard line. It looked really strange, almost like it was makeup. But the promo was on point. The character direction makes sense. And it's all a great way to reinvent him by giving him the look without the name. It exceeded my expectations and straight up, this was better than anything he ever did in AEW on its own. Uh, Kiana backstage thanked Asuka for leaving enough of Roxy for her to finish. Then Blair Davenport came in speaking Japanese with Asuka, which I presume she learned from her time in stardom. Then Kalani Jordan came in, shook Asuka's hand and ran away like a giddy fan. Tiffany Stratton stopped Fallon Henley from introducing herself, trying to make herself look good. Henley took exception to being interrupted, while Asuka just kind of rolled her eyes and dipped out into her dressing room. It was a fun segment, and it was actually cool to see Blair interact with Asuka. Heyman backstage pumped up Breaker, saying he has the best of what his father and uncle have to offer all in one package. Paul said Braun is the main event of WrestleMania in the future, with Mello being the only thing that stands in his way. Braun promised to break anyone that stands in his way, and Paul then called Roman Reigns. Nothing extra to talk about on this segment. So the main event, Mello with Cena against Braun with Heyman. When NXT went to commercial after the babyface entrance, what you guys did not see is that Cena went absolutely wild. He literally jumped into the front row of the crowd. He dapped up a ton of people, let people take pictures of him, selfies. I did not try for one. Then he used my shoulder as a base and climbed over me into the center of the crowd where he got straight up mobbed by fans. I posted a picture of this. I have never seen a wrestler do this after a show. I mean, I've seen wrestlers go into the crowd like Becky Lynch has done it and the Street Profits have done it and obviously a number of other wrestlers. But during a TV broadcast, this was ridiculous. And you need to remember, John Cena is not just a legendary professional wrestler. He's a legitimate celebrity. Like he's been on late night TV shows and he starred in movies. And it's wild to see this guy get this crazy during a commercial break 
at NXT in an arena of 400 people. We kept saying to each other, like the people that were in attendance, why the hell is he doing this? Like all he had to do was walk around ringside and shake some hands, sign some things. He didn't have to do any of this stuff. And he didn't even have to do that. John Cena gave all of these fans, kids, adults, whatever, legitimate memories, like personal moments with dozens of people. It was legitimately fucking wild to witness this happen. Good on him. And I should also note that he spent more time with that rap battle guy in this moment. I was talking about that earlier. He gave him a good like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. That was pretty cool. Now let's get to the match. Breaker went on an extended run, hitting a gut buster before settling for a five-knuckle shuffle that was intercepted by a Hayes superkick. Mello came back with an elevated cutter, and then Braun kind of botched what may have been an avalanche codebreaker. They just didn't have their balance at all. Mello dodged Braun into the post, but Breaker countered nothing but net with his press power slam. Braun picked up the steel steps, only for Cena to steal them away and kick him in the shin. Suddenly, Solo Sokoa ran down, so Cena drilled Sokoa with the steps, chased him out. Mello then hit Braun with a code breaker at ringside. He jumped into the ring for nothing but net to earn the win. However, just seconds after the bell, Breaker speared the soul out of Hayes, and it looked like he was going to stand tall in the segment. I went 3.75 stars B plus for the match. What's really interesting about Mello and Braun is they're both great in the ring, but far better wrestling other people as opposed to one another. I'm not saying this was bad. Clearly, it's not the case, I gave it 3.75 stars. It was super entertaining, but it was another situation where it was neither their best, maybe not even their second best of their matches to this point. It was the right main event. Cena's kick gave Breaker a bit of an excuse loss. Plus the post-match spear put him on a good track for what was to come. So after the spear, Breaker grabbed a mic saying, win or lose, there's only one badass in WWE And suddenly, the Undertaker's gong hit. Braun looked like he saw a ghost, a great sell, the American badass theme hit, and Taker rolled out in a chopper. When I tell you the pop on that gong was the loudest moment of the entire night, it is no exaggeration. Honestly, Taker's entire entrance was electric. Way louder than Cody, Cena, and Knight. Braun got in his face, repeating that he's the lone badass in WWE. The holy shit and you fucked up chants were nuts. Taker put over Breaker saying he's a special talent and will get his time, but it ain't today. Then Taker straight punched him in the jaw and got Braun up. Like he jumped on a trampoline for a choke slam. Then Taker crouched down with some advice. There's always an older, bigger, badder badass waiting around the corner. You just met the baddest of them all. Then he lifted Mello and celebrated to end NXT. This was wild, okay? I couldn't help but think, who knows if I'm ever gonna see The Undertaker live again? Like, probably not, you know? And I'm seeing him in NXT on a random Tuesday night. He was clearly out of shape, a little bit pudgy, but the aura still existed, and everything he did was perfect. It was an exceptional setup to have his return make sense in the moment. Braun sold the hell out of the situation. He sold the hell out of the punch and the chokeslam. It was probably Taker's best choke slam in like a decade, if not longer. Taker was on point with the lines, and both Braun and Mello got elevated from it. Braun was made famous here. Don't get it twisted. For what was a wacky NXT just from the sheer number of major names to appear and contribute in significant ways, I'm not sure there could have been a better ending than this, 
And from a fan standpoint, being there for it, I legitimately felt lucky. The whole show was fun, but the end made it feel even more special and unique than I expected going in. Also, Taker's shirt was amazing. There's a lot of places that sell versions of it. I could not find the exact shirt though. I tried and failed. It's a really smart way to do t-shirts. Kind of gives me some ideas for other ones. Maybe we can create them. I've long thought about doing a t-shirt shop for you guys, but I don't know if the time and effort is worth it, but if you guys are interested, maybe we can do it. I digress. That was a great end to NXT. Now, before we get into AEW, I do have some final thoughts just from my personal experience being there. Before the show, the crowd sang along with multiple 90s pop songs. It was really fun as an atmosphere. All of the veterans, all of them to a T, showed respect to Booker T, either on TV or during commercial break. I thought that was really cool. I was told that 65% of the crowd on that Tuesday were regulars. What was wild is they got delayed WWE letting people in. We didn't enter until 6.50, but in 40 minutes, they had everyone seated, the ring cleaned, cleared, changed out, and they did two level up matches in that period of time before NXT began. As I was waiting for an Uber after the show, Gallus drove by with two of them hanging out of an SUV, still all sweaty in their ring clothes, banging on their doors and trash talking fans. That was very fun. Byron Saxton came out to take pictures with fans waiting on a merchandise line. No, I did not have to wait in the line to get in that you saw on social media. I thank WWE for that. Yes, I would recommend going if you are ever in the area. It is a lot of fun. In terms of the crowd, look, it is what it is. You hear it on TV. There's a lot of fans who try to get themselves over or get certain things over that are not what NXT is trying to accomplish. But there's no doubt that they're passionate, and that's a positive. There are also some kooky fans. You just gotta deal with that. What I was most surprised about here is the PC was exactly the same size it appears to be on TV. No larger, no smaller. There's basically nothing behind the hard cam except a couple rows for like ADA seating and production, and that makes sense. They are maximizing the space. Fans for this show sat in the crow's nest because it was not used. Uh, There was also a small merchandise booth. There's no concessions. They do hand out bottles of water if you desire one, but you can't have the cap. Uh, The bathrooms are in a trailer outside the PC. Nice enough, but they're kind of a pain if you need to visit during the show, so you have to go before. I did get a chance to speak with a couple notable people. Nothing much to really say about it. It was cool that they made themselves available while I was in town. Let me be clear, the notable people were not Shawn Michaels or any of the big stars that were on NXT that night. And I do also just wanna say thank you to WWE for the opportunity, the hospitality. It was really cool to be there, relatively short notice, huge show. I got in, I had incredible seats. I know a lot of you guys saw me on TV. Um, It was a lot of fun. So, you know, it's difficult, but I am going to compartmentalize my ability to go to the show with what we got on TV from NXT when we now move to AEW, discuss Dynamite Title Tuesday and everything that went down on the show. As mentioned, I'm going to pepper in some collision and rampage notes like bullet points just to clarify things that happened on the show, but this is going to be an entire breakdown of AEW Dynamite, and after every 30 minutes, I'm going to pause and let you know who I believe won that half hour between NXT and AEW. So let's kick it off. Nick Wayne on collision got a promo backstage on Darby Allen, told their story. He said Christian Cage was the father figure that he needed. It was solid. 
Adam Copeland was the main event of Collision, saying he wasn't totally surprised by Christian turning on him. The heels attacked, Edge speared Luchasaurus, and hit a Copacution, awful name, on Wayne. Uh, Darby saved him from a concerto, then Darby ate one on his injured arm. The storyline didn't really hit for me. It kind of just felt like stretching it to get to this match. Anyway, let's go to Dynamite. Christian Cage opened Dynamite from the production truck, cutting a promo ahead of the Brian Danielson versus Swerve Strickland number one contendership, basically saying he has problems with both of them. He also took credit for starting Dynamite commercial free. I thought it was the wrong move to start with Christian in a bland setting as opposed to Danielson's ring entrance. On collision, Danielson beat Kyle Fletcher in a 3.5 star B-plus match. Gates of Agony attacked. BCC made the save. So we had Danielson against Swerve on Dynamite, number one contendership for the TNT title. Brian blocked the 450 with double knees and hit a jumping knee off the apron plus a missile dropkick. He later had Swerve in a label lock and butterfly submission for a rope break. Danielson sold a rib injury while running back and forth and hitting the turnbuckles. Swerve caught him with a kick to the head and a Swerve stomp for a false finish. Swerve also did a really cool flip over Mishinoku driver while holding Brian horizontally on the top rope. Hangman Page ran in and stole Prince Nana's crown out of Swerve's hand. This was during a distraction period. Brian then hit the psycho knee and got the win. This was an exceptional match and it was smart to give Swerve a marginal excuse for the loss with Page being the reason. It made perfect sense given the way the Wrestle Dream match ended. Swerve is the truth. We talk about that all the time. Brian is Brian and we talk about that all the time. 4.25 stars. A, easily the match of the night. My biggest surprise was that it didn't get more time. I guess the idea was that attention spans might be short and putting on a 20 or 25 minute match might have people turn the channel at points. So they made it wrap up relatively quick. Samoa Joe cut a dapper promo for the second straight week. He talked about being dominant and violent, saying he's going to begin his ascension towards greatness this week on Collision. Whatever that means, it seems like he's going after MJF, even though he lost clean to him. Uh, Chris Jericho fought powerhouse Hobbs. Obviously, Hobbs dominated the majority of the match as the stronger, bigger heel, but he hit six straight spine busters. Chris came back with walls of Jericho. Hobbs then hit world's strongest slam for a lackadaisical cover and nothing. Then he hit a second one and covered Jericho with his knee across his face for the clean win. Then he hit a third world's strongest slam after the bell for good measure. The reason this match went long, I saw a lot of people talking about this. AEW wanted NXT to go to commercial first before this match ended. I thought it was cool to see Jericho beaten to this degree. It really did elevate Hobbs. I will say the reaction was unexpectedly mild because he was a popular character at one point. The key now will be capitalizing on this. If he's taking down Jericho that easily, he should be one of the mid-card champions sooner than later. I just have a feeling it's gonna be Omega beating him and that's that but we will see. I do remember mentioning coming out of the Hobbs-Miro match that, man, what matters is not just that match, but what they do with both guys after. They've done a good job making Hobbs seem prominent despite that loss. Miro, they've done the backstage stuff with former Lana, CJ Perry, and that's it. So this was the end of the first 30-minute commercial-free battle. AEW actually went 45 minutes commercial-free, as I mentioned. While NXT had the better non-wrestling stuff during the opening 30 minutes, AEW was definitely superior in ring. And I would give Dynamite the clear W through the first half hour because Brian Swerve was really strong. So if we want to do like a point system, 1-0 AEW through the first half hour. Adam Cole was still at Roderick Strong's house a week later mowing his grass. 
He briefly said, what about these guys, referring to the kingdom, but then just said, never mind and mowed the grass anyway. Roddy gave him a new neck strong shirt and Cole asked why there was no cell phone service or TV because he wanted to see what MJF was up to. Cole left to finally get surgery, but Strong called him back for one more thing. I maintain that this does not make a shred of sense. And while I did chuckle once last week, it's also unfunny. I didn't laugh at all this week. I just don't get it. I really do believe it's dumb. We had an international title match, Ray Phoenix against Orange Cassidy. So this was supposed to be John Moxley, but he was not cleared. So Orange got the match. Kind of makes sense. So much for the concussion for Mox being minor as a certain someone reported though. I do wonder the circumstances of this promotion, whether they promoted it knowing Mox wouldn't be there or they legitimately thought he'd be ready. Anyway, Orange had a pair of Tornado DDTs. Phoenix's back gave out trying a rolling move. So Cassidy caught him with beach break. Then he hit orange punch and got a mousetrap pinning combination to win the title in less than five minutes. Penta L0M briefly stared down orange after the bell. Best friends Rocky Romero and Hook all came out after the bell to dap him up. So anyone who listens to this show regularly, you know how I feel about this. Phoenix and Penta just get treated like absolute shit from a singles perspective. Less than five minutes, the title right back on orange I know Phoenix is apparently hurt to some degree again, but heaven forbid he be allowed to rest for a bit and then just keep running with the title until Mox is cleared and ready to go. I was actually excited for this match because these guys can go, but not only did we get a shitty result, we barely got a match, not a banner moment at all. And I wish someone fresh got the rain instead of just reverting it back to orange. How about Andrade El Idolo? Miro. I mean, there are so many people on this roster. Nope. Got to go back to Orange Cassidy. Tony Storm got her close-up backstage. She did a black and white backstage interview and then debuted a silent short film called Lover's Lament, which aired during Picture in Picture doing two different commercial breaks. It was smart to do a silent film during a commercial break where you can't hear what's going on anyway because you're listening to the commercial. But I watched them and I mean, it was... Funny to a degree. I saw people praising this as incredible. I just thought it was kind of nothing. That's just me. Uh, Wardlow fought Matt Seidel. Wardlow hit a series of power bombs for a knockout win and left through the crowd just like last week. Certainly nothing gained here. The takes that I made last week still stand. Jericho was selling the injuries backstage. Daniel Garcia checked on him, but Daddy Magic yelled at him saying, we're better than that. So they're better than checking on an injured friend whom they split with but don't hate enough to fight. Okay. So this ended the second half hour. Easy win for NXT. You got the pub brawl, John Cena and Braun Breaker face-to-face, Becky, Lyra video package, much stronger top to bottom. So that makes it 1-1 through the first hour. On collision, uh, Bullet Club Gold beat Metalik and Helico and Gravity. White after the bell, Jay White cut a promo on MJF, not caring about his title being stolen and said his match with Hangman Page would be a non-title eliminator as he spoke about himself as the champion. I realized in this moment, they're doing another like semi-fake champion reign again. Like CM Punk left and now they're doing this with Jay White stealing the title. Uh, Hangman Page fought Jay White on Dynamite. This was a two commercial break match. White hit a German suplex, took out Hangman's knee and hit a dragon suplex, but Page no-sold the ladder and hit a lariat. White then stopped Buckshot Lariat only to eat Deadeye, Bullet Club Gold distracted enough for a delayed near fall. Hangman then stopped Prince Nana from using his crown with White beating him via high angle roll up in 18 minutes. So the two biggest matches on the show, 
had interference from Prince Nana. Just think about that. I'm at 3.75 stars B plus for this. The shit finish definitely hurt it. There's not much else to take away. I guess the win helped elevate White as the number one contender, but the match was already agreed upon. He's also now 4-0 against Hangman, so given the nature of the match and his number one contendership, he was the right person to win. When Hangman eventually beats White, it should be for something that really matters, like a title. So smart for them not to do it here for all the reasons I just mentioned. So MJF came out immediately after this. He confirmed the title match and demanded the Triple B get returned to him. Loud STFU chants when White spoke. MJF said it's the first time in his life he doesn't hate himself because he's earned the fans' respect. He said he cares about Cole and the AEW title and nothing else. MJF put White over for being elite, but said that he's going to be champion one day. It just won't be on his back. Basically, White beating MJF. He demanded White show respect to AEW, the industry, and the fans by handing back the belt he hadn't yet earned. White said MJF hasn't earned it because he hasn't beaten him. White suggested the only other option is for MJF to find three guys to wrestle alongside him, and if they win over Bullet Club Gold, White would return the title. I just don't see how this is the storyline for a world title program between Jay White and MJF, a stolen title. I mean, that's like basic wrestling booking. It's 2023. These are two of your top main event stars. I just think this was really weak and it kind of made MJF look like shit. I'm just being honest. And then came the second half of this segment. So as this was ending, Juice Robinson stopped it cold and he started calling MJF by his last name, Friedman. Juice said he heard about the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal next week. I guess it was for the Diamond Ring. He said he planned to enter and take the ring. So they had everything that MJF loves. Then he said he'd give MJF a present that he'll like. And he displayed a roll of quarters with the word Friedman written on it. Robinson said he uses the quarters to knock people out, which is true in kayfabe. And MJF snapped, saying if Juice came anywhere near him with those, he would end his life. Commentary said Juice went a bit too far and explained how MJF had spoken previously about bullies targeting him by throwing quarters at him as a kid. They didn't say it, The reason why that happened, though, is because he's Jewish. So, yeah, this needs to be addressed in a major way. And I really wish it wasn't on this show because we have enough to talk about already. Let me start by saying, plainly, I know Juice uses the quarters to knock people out, whether they're Jewish or not. However, the clear implication of MJF publicly making a deal about the quarters sign a couple weeks ago then Juice calling him Freedman and writing Freedman on the roll of quarters instead of MJF, which is what he goes by on this show. It was extremely obvious that this was an anti-Semitic angle. There's just no other way to view it. Now, let me give you some background about me because I want you to put my opinion in context. And I'm going to be honest here, okay? Yes, I am Jewish, as if you couldn't tell by my name. But I'm very casual about it and I'm not overly religious. And I also don't get offended easily in general, though I will say, due to Jewish people being an extremely marginalized part of society, you know, shots do hurt, you know, and they are noticeable. With all of that said, in no way was this acceptable. Not at all. Not in general, and certainly not this week 
with Israel being attacked. Literally the worst possible timing for something like this. Even if you stretch it and take it from the angle of, well, Juice isn't doing this because he's anti-Semitic. He's preying on MJF's emotions from anti-Semitic things that happened in his past. That doesn't make it any better. A non-racist who uses the N-word to get a rise out of someone would be the comparison. That's not okay either. And even if this is like a character Juice is playing, it's a character AEW is choosing to put on screen. Now, I have no issue with the idea of telling nuanced stories in wrestling, but you're simply not going to be successful telling a nuanced story about race or religion. Maybe the best example of it ever being done was Kofi Kingston's Road to WrestleMania, Kofi Mania. And even then, they were very, very careful about the way they handled that. And you certainly do not try to tell a nuanced story during a religious war that is the top story in the actual real-world news cycle right now. Now, MJF came out in defense of this Wednesday afternoon. He compared it to the Muhammad Hassan story in WWF with that guy playing an evil Muslim terrorist in comparison to MJF actually being Jewish. He said the idea is to bring catharsis to people who are bullied for any reason. And apparently he's also speaking at some stand-up to Jewish hate thing, trying to tie the two together. So the Hassan tweet was terrible. First of all, if your argument is based on one of the two or three worst angles in WWE history, which happened 22 years ago, and that's the reason for your angle being better, you're already off to an awful start. Also, while Hassan was not a Muslim, MJF is right about that, Davari was, and he gave the same explanation then that MJF is giving now. And it doesn't even make sense because Hassan was the villain in that story and MJF is the hero in this one. Even if this will eventually be more nuanced than what WWE did, what WWE did or did not do, whether they succeeded or failed, does not justify you doing something similar now in 2023. The truth is that this is an extremely tough sell as a wrestling story, and it's being done at the worst possible time while not just the attacks are happening, but anti-Semitic incidents are up something like 500% in the last week in the United States. Now, MJF has made Judaism a part of his character, And that deserves to be praised because that is difficult to do. But he is not the face of the Jewish people. And he does not solely get to decide what is or is not acceptable. It's like when the Washington football team, now the commanders, rolled out some Native Americans saying, well, they had no problem with our name, so I guess it's okay. Maybe those people actually felt that way. Maybe they were paid to feel that way. They don't speak for the community as a whole. It's another example of Tony Khan failing to step in and disallow a creative decision from talent. Being a boss requires not only telling people what to do, but telling them what not to do. Hey guys, I see what you're trying to do here. This is the entirely wrong time for us to go about this direction as a company. And if he fully approved of it and liked it, well, that's a major blind spot for Tony. So to wrap this up, am I offended? 
Not entirely. I have a thick skin. Was this immensely stupid? Absolutely. Should it have been on TV? Absolutely not. It added nothing at all to the story and it felt ham-fisted, pardon the phrase there, because MJF badly wanted to do it as part of the angle. You could have had Juice Robinson say, we already have your title. You know what else? I'm gonna take your diamond ring. I'm gonna take everything that you have. And it has the exact same impact. And you could say even there's four guys from Bullet Club Gold bullying one guy, MJF by himself. He has no one to have his back. So he's getting bullied and you could still kind of do the angle. You don't have to bring religion into it. You don't have to allude to it. This was really freaking bad. They should be ashamed of themselves for putting this on television. Big mistake and I legitimately hope they drop it. Unfortunately, this ended the third half hour. The matches were basically a wash, Dragunov and Mysterio being the competitor here uh, for White and Hangman. NXT won the other content that was not in ring matches handily. And that's even without the juice part of the MJF White confrontation factoring in. I much preferred what we got from NXT in terms of storyline building and just entertainment. So that gives NXT a 2-1 edge through 90 minutes. On Rampage, Akara Shida and Chris Statlander beat Marina Shafira and Nyla Rose. Shida hit it nightcap uh, for the win ahead of the match with Soraya. There was no reason for this match happening. On Collision, Tony Storm beat Kiara Hogan. It was more about continuing the character. Ruby Soho learned that she was banned from ringside for the title match on Dynamite. So, AEW Women's Championship, Soraya against Takaru Shida. During the match, Shida stopped a masked Ruby Soho from spraying her with the green stuff, turning around and spraying Soho. Then Storm ran down and beat Soho with her shoe. She got a pop. Soraya ate a German on the apron, Meteora outside and Shining Wizard inside. Soraya caught Shida off the ropes with nightcap for a false finish. The referee stopped her from using a kendo stick. And when he took it away, Soraya sprayed Shida in the face and hit a second nightcap for another false finish. Fans chanted, holy Shida, that was cool. She came back with a falcon arrow and a double reverse pinning combination to win the title in 11 minutes. I went three stars and a B minus for the match. Uh, Shida became the first three-time AEW Women's Champion and Soraya's reign ended at 44 days, which means the title change at All In was purely for the spectacle. They really had no plans to do anything with her. Hopefully, Shida holds it for longer than 25 days. She is now both the longest and shortest reigning uh, women's champion in AEW history. It was smart to do the title change on the show given the competition. It felt obvious coming in, and honestly, Soraya looked pretty weak the way this was booked. Two finishers and the spray paint or whatever you want to call it doesn't do anything. Shida hits one finisher and it's over, you know? Uh, during Dynamite, Tony Khan on Twitter promoted a major announcement for the show. The announcement was that AEW will be donating a ton of toys to Toys for Tots. Don't get it twisted. Great for AEW to do that, but to promote that as a reason to tune into TV, that's an even worse announcement than the one that Cody did on NXT. That's ridiculous. MJF backstage declined an interview saying he wanted to call his boy for advice. Cole actually picked up saying he's still at Strong's place. MJF said he needs Cole's help listing everything that's going down and the reception cut out as Cole suggested earlier that it might. Acclaimed and Billy Gunn then came up with Max Caster suggesting they could be his partners to help him get the Triple B back. MJF just walked away. Gunn then admonished Caster for making decisions for all of them and asked why he cared about MJF. Caster talked about their history and he made an innuendo about MJF playing hard to get. The background is that uh, Caster harasses MJF on Twitter in a really good natured way. 
So it was good storytelling on the MJF situation and a much better explanation on Caster's deal with MJF, which had not really been explained on TV, but needed to be explained on TV. There's a lot of times AEW just assumes you know things. They didn't do that here and it was better for it. Christian entered with Luchasaurus cutting a promo on Adam Copeland. Christian said he's not worried about Lucha or Nick Wayne turning on him. He said Copeland took a ragtag group, dressed them up in Halloween costumes and convinced them they're tough. He said Copeland tried to be a leader, but he's a father to Lucha and Wayne. Obviously he was referring to Judgment Day here. So it was pretty interesting that they chose to snipe at the number one or number two faction in professional wrestling right now. But okay, he said Copeland's career is pointing down while his is pointing up. Cage then made a couple comments about Beth Phoenix saying he'd replace Copeland as their kid's father. So he ran out to go get Christian Edge did uh, after the last comment with Luchasaurus catching him with the Lariat finisher before the bell even rang. Now you've heard me use this term before. This was very much a try hard promo from Christian. He was attempting to get some oohs and ahs from the crowd. It didn't really hit for me, mostly because you know their best friends in real life and nothing he was saying was true. And it wasn't cutting enough to make you think, oh, you know, maybe I can suspend that disbelief. I did like the way he juxtaposed his position by pointing out he's a father, not a leader. That was key. But taking a shot at Judgment Day was wholly unnecessary. Now, this basically ended the final half hour, though there were a few minutes of wrestling included in it as well. But I got to tell you, it was another win for NXT. They had the Pillman segment, Asuka and Heyman. Those were all non-wrestling segments, plus the majority of the Mellow and Braun match. And that put it three and one NXT before the overrun. So Copeland fought Luchasaurus. Copeland immediately ate a tombstone at the bell. He came back a bit later with an impaler DDT and then a superplex. Christian began walking down from the stage, which distracted the referee for some reason. Wayne put a chair between the turnbuckles. Luchasaurus dodged a spear into them. Uh, they hit, then he had a chokeslam on Copeland for a false finish. Luchasaurus propped some steps outside. So after Copeland dodged and moved, he ran off the apron, jumped off the steps as a launching pad, and hit a spear. It looked great. Unfortunately, he only hit half the spear. Wayne distracted again. Cage brought down the TNT title. Copeland stole it from him, knocked Lucha in the back of the head, threw the title back to Christian, knocked Wayne off the apron. Lucha, for some reason, thought Christian used it on him. So he was distracted, and he ate a spear from Copeland for his first AEW win. I enjoyed this match way more than I thought I was going to. 3.5 stars and a B. The ending was a bit silly with Copeland overcoming three guys by himself. Uh, Wayne attacked Edge after the bell. So Brian saved him because he's challenging Christian. Then BCC came down because Brian was getting beaten. So then Gates of Agony came down. Brian tapped out Christian with the label lock. Edge speared Wayne. Swerve and Hangman got involved at some point. I don't even remember seeing them until I saw them fighting off the screen. Uh, it was almost a bit too chaotic, but the intention was clear and it was executed decently well to keep fans glued in so they could maximize that rating, not just in the overrun, but the unopposed portion of the overrun. Now, in terms of the overrun, as mentioned, AEW had five to seven extra minutes here. They went 15, whereas NXT went about eight. So the comparison is nearly the entire Copeland match to the finish of Mello and Braun and obviously Taker. Without Taker, it would have been very close. But Taker completely blew this out of the water. That was a perfectly executed segment. So it does wind up four to one towards NXT from a critical standpoint, just looking at each of the five segments head to head. And that is my full breakdown of the two shows. Clearly, I felt 
NXT was just better top to bottom, more interesting for sure, um, more entertaining. Being there in person certainly helped, but I did rewatch all of NXT from the USA Network broadcast, and I watched it immediately afterward Tuesday night. I shouldn't say immediately. I did take like an hour and a half. I went to a great restaurant in Orlando called Tori Tori, a Japanese restaurant, truly outstanding place. Uh, but after I got back to the hotel from that, then I watched NXT. So I got a fresh perspective of what it was like that night. Different experience being there live, watching it on TV. But nevertheless, I did think just NXT top to bottom was the stronger show. And I did post a poll on Twitter. I was really surprised about this, I got to say. I asked everyone which show they enjoyed more for those who watched both. And it just wasn't close. 81.3% said NXT was better. 18.7% said Dynamite was better, and like 200 people voted in that poll. So that was not a small sample size. I hadn't seen Dynamite when I posted the poll. So I thought, there is no way that's accurate. That just has to be a lot of WWE fans voting. But after watching the shows, I get it. I can see why a 20% portion like Dynamite more, the in-ring quality, you could say overall was better. Maybe they just like the product better. But if you are an unbiased observer watching both of those, and you are familiar with WWE and you like both products, then yeah, NXT just was the better show. Okay, so now that I have said my piece about this NXT AEW Dynamite battle, let me welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Now, Chris, I already broke down the ratings for the shows. I shared my thoughts on the individual segments, as well as who won each half hour. Just to reiterate, I had AEW win the first one with Brian Swerve. And then I gave NXT not only the remaining three half hours, but the overrun as well, because Taker is obviously really tough to match. So for me, that was a final score of four to one. Now, before I bring you in for your take, I want everyone to remember how and why everything transpired here, because I did not mention this earlier in the show. So NXT is always on Tuesdays. Dynamite got moved due to sports. They announced Title Tuesday, and they announced that Copeland would have his first AEW match head-to-head -head against NXT. So WWE answered back by putting, obviously, massive stars head-to-head. -head. AEW then announced a 10-minute overrun, which NXT normally gets about seven or eight. AEW actually went 15 minutes, so they had five to seven minutes extra compared to NXT. That helped with the rating. Then WWE announced a commercial-free 30-minute start. So AEW announced the same. To reiterate, they actually went 45 minutes commercial-free, 15 longer than NXT, again, helping their rating. And AEW also announced a 30-minute buy-in pre-show for a TV episode, which was Eddie Kingston against Minoru Suzuki, this despite Kingston having no reason to defend the title against him. So by that context, just to break all that down, AEW took the first salvo, the opening salvo, and the last two or three here based on the way they reacted to what WWE was doing for NXT. Now, previously, Chris, you and I also discussed the context of the situation. But for anyone who didn't listen to that show, I just want to reiterate it here. AEW did not want to lose to NXT head to head and they also needed to look strong because they are negotiating a new TV deal soon. WWE is in the middle of negotiating a new TV deal for Raw and NXT, and it certainly did not want to lose to AEW, but it was primarily focused 
on protecting its turf. They didn't ask for the battle. AEW brought it to their shore and loaded up the show against them. So then when AEW threw a lot, WWE clearly decided it was going to try and leave no doubt. And I think what some are missing is that this was Dynamite, AEW's top show, yes, on a different night, against WWE's third show. There was still a lot of developmental talent on NXT. It's not like they took Raw and just put it on Tuesday night to combat AEW. And critically, as I explained to everyone, I think WWE won handily. It was a better show from top to bottom in terms of entertainment value. AEW did have the best match with Brian Swerve, but that was really about it as far as I was concerned. So Chris, now that I've kind of set the stage, what was your take on the Super Tuesday night battle between NXT and AEW Dynamite? That this was fun. <laughs> I loved this. I love this battle. And I and like in a good natured way, like you you don't need to pick a side one or the other react to this or that, this side or that side. Like all that matters was the fact that we have two legitimate wrestling companies means that they had incentive to put on the best show they possibly could, mm -hmm. that they can take talent from each other, that they can pay talent more. This is exactly why AEW existing is such a good thing for wrestling. I'm saying that up front, not trying to be corny. Before you continue, literally. Yeah. Let, let me interject. You said both companies trying to put on their best possible show. I think NXT put on its best possible show. Do you think AEW succeeded in putting on its best show? And do you think NXT did also? AEW tried to put on the, the best show it could with what it has on the regular. NXT put on the best show it has using all of these bigger names that it has within WWE. And that's ultimately the difference. NXT won because it was on the it, it was on its normal night because it was able to bring in Cena, Undertaker, Cody and, and, and all these other things for one off situations that you're not going to be able to do on the regular. And mm -hmm. so, yes, NXT was a really good show. That's not what you're getting every week from NXT. You're not getting anything close to that week to week on NXT because mm -hmm. you can't. And, and that's fine. I think also, like in terms of the ratings. I like. For wrestling combined to put up those numbers when you have baseball playoffs, the start of hockey season, uh, three college football games and the whole stuff going on in Israel that's taking up cable news right. all the time. Like that's pretty that's pretty darn good numbers for everybody. And for and for AEW to only lose the demo by a small amount, mm. given all of that, I, I wouldn't say it's a win, but I'd say like. It's it, it's a positive sign to come out of all of that when you don't really have any other numbers to point to. So I I just thought like I, the whole buildup I was just like I was excited about it. And all the people who would get mad about oh this company's doing this so this company did this oh they're just copying them like yeah man that's the point they want, they want to get they are competing with each other they want to draw more attention and that's a good thing and it was fun yeah now if this was weekly and we saw what it was like weekly in, in 2019 though NXT was very mm -hmm. different then and AEW is very different now um you know than than what they both were um we saw that head to head and you can't do this what happened this week every single week. It's just not, it's not possible, mm -hmm. but it was a one-off situation for both shows. I think you're a little incorrect in saying that 
this was a normal AEW show or they do what they normally do despite moving nights. They loaded this show or they, I, I, they no, tried no, I, I mean, they did what they did with normal talent. Well, they, they don't have the ability. I mean, what were they going to do? Go drag Ricky the Dragon Steamboat back out or Bret Hart? Like, right. They, that's they, what you I'm know, saying. they don't have that like, ability. Th- but that's but that's what I'm saying is that correct. AEW tried to put their best foot forward using their brand and using what they are about, which is the in-ring product, the the professional wrestling Mm -hmm. aspect of it. WWE, they did bring in the major stars. There's no question about that. What I loved about them bringing in the major stars, by the way, is not like they didn't just have like John Cena versus LA Knight on the show. They, every single big name star was utilized to put over the developmental talent. It's not like they ran like a raw 25, you know, and it was the main roster plus the big stars. It was big stars plus developmental talents. I mean, they had Danny Palmer against Lola Vice on this show. Like that is as developmental as it gets, right? Like they, they still kind of stayed true to what they were doing, but just using the stars to elevate every single thing that you saw. So, you know, it, I, it, 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 but to that, to that point, to that point, and, and that is the difference. WWE is a bigger company. WWE is a more popular company. It's as hot as it's been in a long time. And it could pull out the types of big guns for this show that AEW just can't. And that's just the state of the companies. And that's fine. Yeah. And to your point, when you sum total the ratings, it basically did a raw when you combine them a raw versus Monday night football. Like it did 1.5 million viewers, 0.56. Like that's a very successful raw against Monday night football. And for that to happen Tuesday against all the sports that you mentioned and the big uh, item that's happening in the news, that's impressive for wrestling in general. But I do think that when you contextualize what kind of AEW did here, where they were the ones that said, hey, look, We're not only going to air our show on your night because we really don't have another choice, but we're going to load this up with Edge. We're going to load it up with Brian Danielson against Swerve in these huge matches, and we're calling it Title Tuesday. And the idea that was out there, and we did discuss this last week, that WWE like shouldn't do anything or shouldn't pull out their big guns and should just kind of take it. I never understood that. I'm glad they didn't. As I discussed earlier, I had a hell of a good time at that show. It was, I don't want to say it's the best wrestling experience I've had because I've gone to WrestleManias and I've seen major matches and been on great Raws where The Rock showed up. I've, I've seen some amazing wrestling in my life, but it was the singularly most unique experience that I've ever had. And I had people who don't normally watch wrestling watch NXT and text me including uh, handsome Nick Costos, who you guys remember from my old show, saying, holy shit, that was great. I think when it came to putting the best foot forward, WWE did a better job than AEW. There have been way, way better episodes of Dynamite than what we got on Tuesday. I don't know that there's been a better episode of NXT. Uh, Yeah, probably. But uh, but again, like, it's it's just they were just they had to approach the shows differently because of what they have. And, that, and that's fine. Like 
AW, it was not the best episode of Dynamite. They tried to make it one of the best episodes of Dynamite, but they just didn't. And, and, and that's okay. And, and WWE tried to do the same with, with NXT. I think the biggest thing for me is really the way they started the shows. It set the tone. It did. Everything about the difference. It told you everything about the difference between these companies. You either start with a, a match or Christian backstage or whatever, but you start with a match or you start with a promo. I have always enjoyed starting wrestling shows with promos because it sets the tone for the next couple of hours, kind of tells you what to prepare for. I'm just generally not someone who likes jumping right into a match because I have so many questions and things. And oftentimes it's the match is not the number one thing I want to see. WWE will often start Raw or SmackDown with the most important story. And when they don't, I get annoyed. So it, it was very evident uh, in how they started. It was pinpointed exactly the difference between these companies. Not that one's better or worse, whatever your opinion is, but it was clear right off the bat. Are you talking about the visual of it? Well, the, the visual and the structure to have Cody in the ring for, shoot, what was it, 15 minutes or well, something? Well, don't like that, forget, AEW, AEW did not open the show with the match. They opened the show with the Christian Cage they, promo. Yeah, with the Christian thing, but then it, went, it was a weird way to start. But then it went right into a, a so, match. It wasn't like coming out, talk to the crowd, 15-minute promo segment, that type of thing. But that's what I wanted to ask you about because I mentioned this earlier, so I don't, I'm not going to repeat my opinion yet. I want to get yours first. Mm -hmm. But you have Cody come out with, I, I say pyro in quotes because it's just it was sparklers because there's only so much that you can do there. But the music, the crowd singing his song, it's... Not the biggest star that was going to be on the show, but one of the biggest stars, right? He's out there. He does the long extended promo segment. You see the lights, the colors, all of that. That is the first scene that you get when NXT mm -hmm. starts. The first scene that you get when AEW starts is not just Christian Cage cutting a promo. It's Christian cutting a promo in a dark production truck for multiple yes. minutes preceding a match with Brian Danielson and Swerve. Which the match between Brian Danielson and Swerve in terms of wrestling, I mean, there I guess WWE for for NXT maybe had more entertaining segments just because there were such big stars and there were cool moments that happened. But from a wrestling standpoint, nothing matched Brian and Swerve. That that was the best foot forward yeah. for AEW. But they started with Christian in a dark production truck, and I think if you had both shows, if you had them on TVs next to each other, and you see Christian standing in front of monitors and Cody getting serenaded by a crowd going crazy, enjoying himself, you're turning into NXT or you're putting that, yes. the vol you're putting the volume on NXT and you're leaving AEW on mute at a minimum. Yes, I, I'll say I don't under, like, I don't know why you didn't, if you were going to open with some backstage promo, something, uh, a visual on somebody, this goes to last week too, I don't know why you didn't start with Edge. He right. is the biggest thing that people want to see in exactly. AEW right now. I thought the debut, I thought the Edge's Dynamite debut last week in that backstage thing was bizarre as all hell. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a way to start the show. The last two Dynamites, the very first thing they do has been very strange. They've started backstage both times, I think, both last two episodes. And you, not yeah, in the I, ring, you, right? You, you, yeah, and, and it. Not in the ring in any type of form. So yeah, I was right. very surprised you don't start with Edge and then you instead start with Christian when Edge is your biggest kind of thing right now. And by the way, the other thing I wanted to mention that isn't being said enough, 
AEW did load this show with former WWE superstars as a way of saying, like, look at all these people we have. Like, Chris Jericho had a match. Soraya had a match. Edge had a match. Christian was featured. Brian Danielson, Swerve. Swerve, to a lesser extent, he wasn't in WWE on the main roster for so long. Um, John Moxley was supposed to have a match that didn't have one. So, like, I know there's a lot of WWE names in AEW. It's just natural based on the industry. And if they're not working for WWE, they're probably working for AEW. I get that. But it was a concerted effort by AEW to say, look at all these familiar faces we have on our show, especially in the opening hour where you got Christian, Danielson, Swerve, and Jericho in the immediate start of the show. So it's not like they didn't lean on their star power is what I'm saying. Well, that's a funny thing because like I saw a couple of people post the screen grabs of like the beginning and it was so funny to have WWE shows start with a former AEW person and the AEW show start with the former WWE people. It was was a very funny way to look back compared to the last time that these companies were going at war on the same nights for different things. So I thought that was pretty funny. So that was a good breakdown, I think, from us on the two shows, our opinions of them. Oh, I don't think you actually stated firmly which one you liked better. Did you? I liked NXT better between the two. Okay. Um, Just it had more juice to it, more meat to it. Uh, Not not big meaty men, but just more meat to it. And the production value, which is something that matters to me, is unsurprisingly uh, better there. I like Dynamite. I thought it was good. Yeah. Many good things on there. I like both companies, like both shows, but NXT went absolutely all out as as much as it possibly could, and they put together a really good show on it. And uh, your breakdown of who won what, I think, was a pretty fair way to to look at it. Okay, so I'm glad I, I tried to move on to the next segment, but I forgot that we didn't even like get your full recap there. So I'm glad we talked about that first. Let's move on to the really the last major topic uh, that we're going to cover on today's show, and that is, believe it or not, I can't believe we're going to spend this much time talking about it, but Tony Khan and we'll his try not to. and his Twitter account. Well, look, because another part of this conversation though needs to be what happened with Tony on Twitter this week. Here's what transpired, okay? So earlier in the week, he basically tweeted the equivalent of fuck Vince McMahon. And this was in a reply to a Twitter account that had 200 followers. Then he tweeted, get behind AEW, which had a very clear stand up for WWE message, which people have mocked. (laughs) People have mocked that for decades. That was WWE in the face of the parents' television council. Tony saying, get behind AEW because we're going head to head with NXT. It also kind of had a please clap like Jeb Bush type of vibe to it. And it just really bothered me when he did that. But nothing hugely to criticize, but it just bothered me. Uh, But those items were the beginning of Tony stoking the flames of tribalism that basically everyone agrees is the most toxic and detestable part of the IWC. In fact, Copeland and Soraya both spoke out against tribalism and internet wrestling fans in the prior week, yet their boss started doing this in the lead up to Dynamite. Then Tony responded to a clearly ridiculous story from a very poor wrestling reporter that said, Triple H and Shawn Michaels look to send Tony Khan a message with NXT. He responded with a Curb Your Enthusiasm meme calling Triple H and Shawn bald assholes. And yes, let me be clear. I love Curb and I got the reference. I just really don't think he meant it in a jovial context. It seemed serious. 
again, stoking the tribalism flames. Then, 42 minutes into Dynamite, he tweets, we still haven't taken a commercial break. Next, he promises an important announcement. This is during the show, and it's about a charitable donation. Then he tweets that the overrun is indefinite, three times as a last gasp to get viewers. But if that was not bizarre enough, and and the stuff during Dynamite, I don't really have much of a problem with compared to the other stuff. But if that was not bizarre enough, it seemed like Tony might have gotten the ratings like an hour to 90 minutes before they actually came out because he lost his mind. He responded to a non-wrestling account that did not mention him or tag him or say AEW or anything. He responded complaining that cage match users, yes, cage match users, think about IMDb, but for wrestling instead of movies, were making a concerted effort to bury Dynamite on that platform. I checked, the matches were rated pretty high. So I'm not really sure what his complaint was, but who gives a shit what a couple random people or one random person has to say? Then, to a Twitter user that has 400 followers, that person posted an AI-generated picture of Shawn Michaels celebrating a Booker of the Year award. Tony tweeted, quote, actually, I'm pretty sure that last night blew whatever chance he had of winning that award. First of all, you and I just said to, you know, to ourselves without talking to Tony, we thought NXT was the better show. So if anything, that's an incorrect statement that only perhaps increased Shawn Michaels' chances of winning Booker of the Year. But let me remind everyone right now, this is the real point. Tony Khan is a multi-billionaire. He's now 41 years old. And he did all of this tweeting on the day preceding through the day after his birthday. A lot of AEW fans defended Khan for the early tweets about Vince, Trips, and Sean. They're like, hey man, he's a promoter promoting his shows. Even if you wanted to just believe that, it was clear based on prior comments he's made, I'm not taking this fucking shit anymore. And now the tweets after the show that he's just simply petty and childish. And it is not a good look at all for him or AEW. How is this the way someone with billions of dollars wants to spend their birthday? It actually seemed like he was unraveling a bit here. Like his ego is clearly bruised both from before and after the show. I mean, he's freaking out over a Booker of the Year award that I bet Triple H and Sean don't know about or maybe heard one time and never gave a second thought to in their entire lives. AEW has heavily promoted Tony winning Booker of the Year from Wrestling Observer three years in a row. He's gonna win a fourth because the voters are conditioned to prefer AEW and think of it as real wrestling. Yet he's freaking out about this, number one, at all. But number two, in mid-October, the only Booker of the Year award HBK cares about comes from Endeavor, okay, or TKO. He doesn't give a shit about what the Observer listeners or even all of you listening to this right now have to say when it comes to a booking award, okay? We do the meaties every year. We will award a Booker of the Year. I guarantee you, HBK, Shawn Michaels, whoever else, don't give a shit who we call Booker of the Year, who Wrestling Observer calls Booker of the Year. Because guess what? It doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. All that matters is the big meaty moment of the year. Okay, that is facts. We all know that to be true. But this was <laughs> genuinely pathetic behavior from Tony, both before and after the fact. And I state again, Chris, 
Tony Khan is one of the reasons why it's immensely hard to root for AEW. Like the insecurity, the fragility here, it was just absurd. And ultimately, I'll end on this. I think the loss for AEW, quote unquote loss, looks worse because of how Tony acted before and after the fact. If he had just let the show do the talking the way WWE did, and then AEW lost, okay, shrug, move on with your life. But that's not what happened. And given the margin and the way Khan acted, I'm not saying this is some monumental deal outside of this individual week, but any clowning of AEW or him, you can't say it's not deserved. So I'm always kind of of two minds on this type of stuff. One is in our business, it's more fun when the people in power are talking, are unraveling, are doing things they shouldn't do as opposed to being silent and being behind closed doors and we never hear from them. Just upfront about that. It's entertaining. But two, if I was like a WBD executive, like I would be more concerned about Tony's Twitter habits than I would a single rating 100%. going up against NXT because like he is just way too online man like you you don't need to be doing this and if you're so focused on these kinds of things given the many jobs that tony khan has to do brian danielson told us that he doesn't know how he gets any sleep like why are you responding to random people on twitter man like you have better things to do with your time and it's that mindset and that attention on stuff like twitter that seeps into the show sometimes with how with references or this or that. And it's, it's just aimed at such a smaller audience. And I think, I think the fact that he is too online and sometimes the company is a little bit too online focused or just too online brained limits uh, the creativity around there because there's only kind of one way of thought of, of doing things instead of expanding that type of stuff. So I just, I think it's just really unbecoming for a guy who's built a very successful company Absolutely. and a company that is doing well financially and is going to get a new TV deal and is can just freaking packed Wembley freaking stadium. Yeah, like, it's fine, man. Like he does and it, like and he freaks out and then that leads that creates the permission structure for people online to freak out and do all this kinds of stuff like set an example a little bit. Like, who the Frick cares about a cage match rating that, like you said, wasn't even that much of a difference. Like, how many people are really checking that? How many people that watch Nobody. wrestling are actually checking that? Nobody. Like, that's not important, man. I just, it's just, it's, it's annoying because I think the focus on stuff like that takes away and limits uh, AEW's potential, which is obviously incredibly high. You made the best point, I think, out of all of it. AEW has been so freaking successful. They do so many things that are great. They've made WWE up its game largely, at least from the in-ring standpoint. They, you could say, I don't want to say they fostered a creative change in WWE because Vince McMahon stepped down for reasons that had nothing to do with AEW, but Triple H's success, I think, is in large part because he's booking in a way that is speaking to the audience that AEW had a semi-firm grip on previously. Now they know they can tune into WWE and see Gunther versus Chad Gable on a random Monday night put on an absolute freaking banger. You can get an A-match on television. 
not that long ago, year and a half ago, you really didn't. And it was if you did, it was very few and far between. Now you're getting them relatively regularly, B plus, A minus, whatever you want to call it. But that's the larger point. It's that AEW is doing so many good things, but time and again, and you know, I'm sick of this fucking shit when he said it that time. Uh, there were other situations where Tony's tweeted or said things in press conferences or taken offense to like WWE not giving him the time of day where like, why should they? I, I forget the exact situations. I'd have to go through my mental Rolodex. Well, there, was the, there was the booking on, there was a booking an event on Labor Day situation. Oh, right. Too. As if he like owned Labor Day and they couldn't do it on a different day or earlier in the day at four o'clock and the AEW had one at eight. Like it's it just time and again, Tony not being able to get out of his own way and it costs AEW in the public conversation, which is what we're having. It's on shows like this. We we really should have been able to wrap up this show and said, look, NXT, it won the rating battle. AEW also put on a good show. Can't wait to see Dynamite next week. That That really should have been the closing of this program, but it's not because Tony created another story. Now, if you really want to get real conspiracy theory-ish, you could say, well, Tony did this on Wednesday to detract from the fact that they lost the ratings battle. I don't think it worked if that was the plan. I think it just put the pressure even more squarely on his shoulders. The fact that they didn't do well and he talked a lot of shit and made a lot of noise yes. and wasn't able to follow through with it. And that's the worst. Like, Think about like football, right? You have cornerbacks who talk shit all the time and they shut people down and it's great. Well, the big moments are when the wide receivers get over on those cornerbacks, when Darrell Rivas or Deion Sanders or whoever talks a lot of shit and then whomever goes off and has a 200-yard, three-touchdown game, that guy looks awful. In the inverse, if he didn't talk any shit and the guy had a big game, it would be like, wow, that guy had a big game over Darrell Rivas. Sucks for him. Instead, it's like, look at this clown who said he was going to dominate and didn't follow through. And that's kind of what Tony did. I mean, he didn't promise that they would win, but he was basically like, stand up for us. We're going to put on a great show. We're doing all these things. WWE is attacking us. And all we did was move Knights, go head to head with them and book a really strong show before they did anything. But it's their fault, not ours. They're the bad guy. We're not. It's like, no, man. Like, it was a regular competition. You both did what you had to do. You lost. And now you look worse because of it. And here's, here's the other thing, by the way. I, like he, he sometimes does this to try to rally the troops for a big show, all that kind of stuff. But Twitter is, if you want to expand the reach of AEW and the audience stuff like that, Twitter is not the place to do it, man. Like it, it's, it's local media, it's digital media. Like if you go to AEW's website, like they are often very behind on a lot of things. Like that's something that WWE does very well in the digital space. Right. AEW sometimes slow to get stuff up on YouTube, sometimes slow to get other clips and, and stuff like that up. Like, there, there's, there are ways that AEW can continue to broaden its reach and do these types of things and in, in throwing up, responding to Twitter memes and, and putting bald asshole stuff on Twitter. Like, that's not going to make people watch AEW anymore. Like, it's going to rally the watching. fans you already have. That's all it's going to accomplish. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So spend your time trying to figure out other ways to expand the reach of this company. So it's, it's, it's just, it's annoying. And look, uh, on the, like if we want to talk about owners of companies, the things that Vince McMahon, oh, you know, was alleged to have done, totally, very far worse and serious, and we've done entire episodes to that type of stuff. Like this is not the worst thing in the world that Tony. But kind of that's doing the other thing. Running certain companies. That's the other thing, but though, it's Chris. Just, it's just it's childish. It's not a like a, like I know I know you're not saying like a whataboutism. I know that's you're saying purposefully not to do that. But like 
that's not the game, right? Like Vince could have done terrible things and Tony can do something really stupid in 2023. And what Vince did, and I, I the only reason I address it is because I saw other people saying, well, you know, Vince used to go right after WCW. Okay, yeah, that was a quarter century ago at this point. It's 2023. It's a different time. Number one, it's a different time. Number two, social media didn't exist back then. Although I promise you if it did, Vince would have sent some pretty inflammatory tweets, whether it's at Ted Turner or, or WCW or Eric Bischoff. Shit would have gone down. The nacho then. man, the nacho man. Yeah, stuff would have happened then, trust me. But the point is, it's not then, it's now, right? And did you hear anything from Triple H or Shawn Michaels or people in WWE publicly on Twitter? No, you didn't. You, they just, they booked their show. Yeah, That's it. They booked their show yeah. and they won. And like, again, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. It's fun for discourse. It was fun for us to say, hey, you know what? We're going to do a special episode on Wednesday because we actually have a head-to-head battle and we think these shows are going to be great. But then there's this area of criticism where there really didn't need to be. It's, it should have just been yeah. NXT did this, AEW did this, NXT won, good for them. Next week, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it, 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 I'm not saying AEW is this because they're a healthy company, but just the, the actions are that of you know, Eric Bischoff challenging Vince McMahon to a fight when you start to lose in the ratings. It feels you know? like that. It, it, it does. It feels like that. And then and, and then some of the online approach to stuff is very Vince Russo react. Like, oh, we should do this on the show because it'll get people talking online, yada, yada. Like, that was a thing Vince Russo did at the time. I'm not saying AEW's late stage WCW. It's not. It's just some of those things felt like the vibe, and that's not the vibe you want to be given off. It's not. You're 100% right. Uh, before we get out of here, because obviously I spent the vast majority of this show talking and you just came on for this segment. Is there anything that you really wanted to point out or say about NXT or AEW from this week before we kind of wrap things up here? And I just do the normal close of the show. Just that it's very nice to see that how how serious WWE is about NXT again. I know I've complained on the podcast a couple of times that there's too much NXT seeping into Raw and SmackDown sometimes. But, you know, NXT went through that period of it was just the online show and then it was the big third brand and then they completely rebooted it and Mm -hmm. it was separate. You do 2.0. Now they're kind of like they're bringing it back again where they're making it feel like a big deal. And that's ultimately just, I think, a good thing. They've got level up still too as well. So like Mm -hmm. WWE's done a very good job of building up a training center, a training program, a, its own minor league team type of stuff. And to have John Cena there, Undertaker there to do all those things just adds another layer of legitimacy to everything that they're doing. And that is ultimately good for pro wrestling. Yeah, I think they're threading the needle now between the two extremes, right? There was a period, remember, with Survivor Series when NXT was fully integrated in the main roster for that premium live event pay-per-view Keith Lee, at baby. the time. Keith Lee's moment. Um it was third brand at that point. This is just as good and important as everything else that we're doing. Then they obviously completely went developmental. And now they're back in this middle zone. And you notice it on NXT television, okay? On, I mean, you can look at this show right now as an example, but you can have Lola Vice against Danny Palmer as a true developmental match. You can have Ilya Dragunov against Dominic Mysterio, which is a main roster caliber match. On the show, Dragunov is more than ready to be called up, obviously. And then you can have, you know, Carmelo Hayes against Braun Breaker, which is also like main roster ready, but two guys who have never been on the main roster. And it threads that needle right in between of like, these guys are the top of the developmental group. 
They're good enough to be on the main roster, but right now they're spearheading this show. And I think those three matches, if you just look at those and the through line through them, it's a great representation of what NXT has become. Half third brand, half developmental, all in one show. Something completely different than what you get Mondays and Fridays, but at the same time, the quality isn't lacking where you say there's no reason for me to watch this product. And I think it's a really great spot for NXT to be in. And even though it was a star heavy show on Tuesday, it still felt like an episode of NXT. The obviously the setting played a huge role in that, but a lot of the developmental talent, you got Tony D'Angelo doing his exaggerated Italian gimmick. You got the chase you backstage segment. You got the Danny Palmer Lola Vice match. You got all those things that you normally get, but you also got Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes, right? And, and you got some things like that on the show. The 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 um the six man uh, tag team brawl, which we haven't mentioned enough. That was a lot of fun, but uh, mostly you know developmental talent in that match. People from NXT, a couple main roster guys integrated as well. So I just to your point, NXT now is becoming what it used to be before black and gold went full Triple H skull third brand, uh, and maybe even the best version of what it has always been made for, which is to develop talent and integrate the main roster into it to give that developmental talent opportunities to improve. It's what, again, NXT yeah. used to be back in the day before it truly exploded. Yeah, look, AEW beat NXT in their in their initial oh, yeah. head-to-head battle for a very long time. And that, caught, that forced WWE to change what it wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And AEW kind of took a lot of... You know, those Ada, those NXT pay-per-views back in the day, huge events, loved them. It was really, the, the takeovers right before pay-per-views, I freaking loved that. But AEW came in and kind of just took that. They took that and made Absolutely. it their own thing, which yep. was good Which was good business to do. So WWE had to find a new way to rebuild that back up, and now they have. And it's just more good wrestling and more training ground for everybody, more competition, and we all win from that. We are going to end on that note right there because everyone winning, wrestling fans winning, is the point, and it is exactly what happened on Tuesday night. Whether you are primarily an NXT fan or an AEW fan, you won. And if you watch both, you really won. And if you got to go to Orlando and sit front row and watch The Undertaker and John Cena and Cody Rhodes and LA Knight and and Asuka, by the way, let me mention that, then you're the Silver King. And you really freaking won. So with that, let's wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thanks, of course, to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining for this extremely important final segment. On the way out, allow me to hit you with all of our reminders first that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about So be sure to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio that will restart 
on Friday with SmackDown. Don't worry. You also get news posts every single week, usually on Friday. So a great time to sign up right now. Maximize that subscription. But beyond all the extra content you get, your financial contributions directly support the continuation of the show, along with myself and Vintage. Thanks once again to everyone for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. For the first time in a long time, we have six full days between episodes. I don't think that's ever happened before. Uh, So I'm extremely excited to get a little bit of a respite here, but we will be back next Tuesday with your WWE episode and then the following Thursday with your AEW and NXT show. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.